0: Welcome in to a Tuesday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. we start off where you want us to start off. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, we update you on their respective playoff performances and the ideal path their teams would take that would be most conducive to them becoming Knicks next season.
1: Then we're going to catch up with a couple free agency rumors, courtesy of Woj. And we're going to dive into just just how definitive, other than the the inevitable maybe tweet of Kevin Durant actually signing a deal with the Knicks. What would have to happen for us to become any more sure of this being a thing than we already
0: are now? Third and final segment, James Marceda earmuffs. It is time to discuss Avengers end game. We have put it off far too long. The spoiler band is lifted. If you have not seen it, you better shut it off early because we are going deep on Avengers end game. That next on locked on Knicks. You are locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Knocks foul
1: from behind. Counting at one. It's his day, his what he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives. Oh, down, oh, oh, Becomes Good-bye. infectious.
0: You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Gavin Shaw. Across the river is Alex Wolf. Uh, we took a couple days off, though if you, if you missed it, uh, Alex, uh, knocked out a pod with Drew Steele, aka Scooter Toots. Uh, am I getting that right, Alex? Did I, did yeah. I, was I two for two? Wow. Yeah, you got, you got
1: Toots right, man.
0: Mr. Toots. Love it, Mr. Toots. He, he was on the pod for, for Killer two-parter that I really enjoyed and then uh, I had on a friend of my life and a friend of the show uh, Marcus Barahal and the host of Locked On Nets I actually really enjoyed that one. we got into uh, ranking all the players on the Knicks and the Nets which predictably got heated in case you missed it and then um, I, I really Alex I don't know if you got a chance to listen but I really pushed Marcus because he, he was kind of in a similar situation to me lifelong Knicks fans who's now been indoctrinated a little bit by the Nets cult, so I asked him if he would prefer the Knicks getting Zion or the Nets winning a title next year. So I think it, it's worth listening to hear his answer and his rationale on that. Uh, but we don't have to discuss that on this episode. We are going straight Knicks and specifically the Knicks' future in regards to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. So I'll, I'll lay it out for you, Alex. What, what's been your gauge of those two? Uh, those two's playoff. I messed that up. Well, what's your gauge of uh, the playoff performance of, of each of them this year? Obviously, sort of moving in, in two different directions.
1: Well, before we get into the meat of this first segment, I feel like we should probably just quickly mention that there is a draft lottery watch party coming up next week. Sure. Uh, get this in early so that everybody knows and is aware. This one came together pretty quickly. Uh, I understand you're going to be able to make it, right? Yeah, I'll be there. That is dupe. Uh, so not only will you guys get to meet Gavin, but we'll, it's probably going to be the first face-to-face meeting between he and I since we took over the show, yeah. which will be a monumental occasion. You could be there for it. Um, some great, uh, inspirational music will play as we lock eyes from across the room. Uh, but the, this whole thing is going down. Slattery's Midtown Pub, uh, a week from today, Tuesday, May 14th. We're starting things at 730. The lottery and the results will be at around like 830, 840. And then depending on the, the result from that, we're either going to get, you know, really happy blasted or really sad blasted <laughs> one way or the other. It's going to happen. Uh, so that's at Slattery's Midtown Pub, which is at 8 East 36th Street. Uh, it's right in Midtown, a few blocks away from MSG. There will be Nicks Gear raffles there. Uh, I do not want to give away too much, but I've seen the top prize, and it is a, I believe, autographed Kevin Knox jersey, which is pretty dope. Uh, so that'll be a cool prize for you guys to, you know, get raffle tickets and try to win. And to top it all off, 10% of all drink sales will benefit the Garden of Dreams Foundation, which is, of course, the... Knicks and Rangers themed uh, Make-A-Wish esque foundation run by MSG where they grant wishes to um, kids that you know want Knicks or Rangers themed uh, wishes that you know when they have um, either serious or terminal illnesses. So it's definitely a great cause, and ten uh, percent of a Nicks lottery night uh, bar tab will probably be pretty substantial. So we hope to see you guys there for that. Uh, but anyways, get back to the actual, you know, meat of this segment that we were getting into. So, yeah, Kyrie, I mean, he kind of sucked uh, tonight. <laughs> he, he shot 8 of 22 in the previous game and then had the quote of like, oh, you won't see 8 out of 22 from me again. And he was right because this time he shot 7 of 22 in game four and just kind of seemed a little... Disinterested. The Celtics are now down 3-1 and they have to go back to Milwaukee, which is not a great place to be. Giannis has like, after, I mean, I went unlocked on, on NBA last week and I was like, yeah, the scary part after the Bucks won game two was that Giannis still didn't even really quite look like himself yet. And Giannis is clearly himself now. I mean, he's like playing his best ball now and they can't stop him. And the Celtics are probably in trouble here. Um, I don't know what your takeaways were from the game, Gavin. But, I mean, I just I, I thought that Kyrie didn't play that great. The Celtics overall didn't play that great. And they're probably pretty screwed. Like, I'd be really surprised if this made it to a sixth game at the rate that it's going.
0: Yeah, I mean, just, just from purely, like, uh, his free agency perspective, like, I think this is really the ideal result for the Knicks. Like, they weren't going to lose to the Pacers, Sands. Victor Oladipo and especially after game one and like with some of the flashes you saw from Gordon Hayward uh, both late in the season and um, in that series, you, you kind of got the feeling like the Celtics were, were coming together. And, um, the loss of Marcus Smart, or this, this could have just been like a Celtic spin, but I, I was sort of buying it, like, that the loss of Marcus Smart, like, while well, obviously hurts them in terms of toughness, um, was, was sort of ideal for them in terms of finally crystallizing the rotation. And like the issue with Boston all season was that there were too many mouths to feed. And that clearly led to conflicts, like, both on the court and off the court and guys not really knowing their role. And I was sort of 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 the opinion, like, okay, this is like, this is all coming together now. Like they, like, everyone knows what they're supposed to do. And, and there was a reason why, like, I think on paper, like, the Celtics had the highest um, over/under of any team in the league this season. Maybe stands Golden State, certainly in the East. And a lot of people thought they were going to come out of the East and, and probably be the best challenge Golden State has had in a couple of years. Is because this team like had so much versatility, had so much talent defensively, um, so many different options offensively. And I was really buying into the idea, particularly with Malcolm Brogdon out, that like this inexperienced Bucks team wasn't going to be able to hold up to them. But instead, it, it sort of the same issues that. A, Plague the Celtics all season, continue to. And I, I can't really tell if, um, if Kyrie playing badly is, is sort of a boon for him leaving or maybe something that would push him to come back and say, like, you know what, I gotta make this right versus like if he had been playing excellently and they'd been struggling, like maybe that would be even better. But I, I don't know, it does sort of feel like you, like, even, even from like Boston's perspective, like obviously they wouldn't want to lose Kyrie for nothing because you always want to keep the asset and he still is a spectacular talent. But I think it's it's kind of approaching a point of critical mass where like Boston I, I don't want to say again, they'd be okay with him leaving, but like there is a little bit of a sense that like maybe it's just best for both sides to move on because clearly like whatever's happening right now, they're they're less than the sum of their parts,
1: yeah, I mean, if you look at their fans online on on Twitter and even the fans that were in the building, I mean, it certainly seems like uh, that part of the celtics organization, the the fandom is ready to move on from Kyrie at this point, because they were not giving him a very nice uh, reception tonight, I guess, to his, you know, struggling night. But yeah, I mean, I kind of, you know, to get back to kind of what my preferred result would be for the Celtics, I, I think it would definitely be to lose this next game, regardless of how Kyrie himself plays. Because I just think that in Kyrie's mind, it's going to be like, he's going to, at first he's going to be like, okay, this team clearly is not a title contender. And like, all things considered, the Celtics don't have a ton of flexibility anymore as far as, like, salary goes. They kind of blew that, like, on Gordon Hayward. That was supposed to be, like, their final piece, and he's making, like, a bajillion dollars now. Um, you've got some guys on their rookie deals that are finally expiring. So, like, all these, like, stockpile of of young guys that the Celtics had for so long, you know, are starting to expire now and, and need to get paid. So, Their, like, flexibility is kind of gone, and I think Kyrie might look at that and be like, okay, like, you know, maybe now's the time to jump ship here if I don't think this team is, is a legit title contender with me. And, you know, who knows what happens if he leaves, because clearly they've, they've played well without him before, but, um, yeah, just in general, I, I think that that would be the one thing, and then, um, the other thing is that the, you know, the fans and everybody turning on him too, I, I just think that Kyrie's the type of guy that takes that sort of stuff like he would try to pretend like he wouldn't take that into account, but he probably takes it into account as much as anybody, if not more. And, you know, he, he would probably just want to finally be like, okay, I didn't even ask to come here, you know, all things considered, like I got traded here and all I said was I wanted out of Cleveland and I got traded somewhere and I I went to Boston and, you know, maybe he never wanted to be there to begin with. And, you know, this will finally kind of be his chance to pick his own destiny at this point. So I, I think that might motivate his decision to come to the Knicks, especially, if the Celtics get kind of embarrassed here in the second round and get like gentlemen swept after winning the first game, no less too.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm with all of that. And maybe let's, let's flip it over to Kevin Durant, who, as we mentioned earlier, is having essentially the opposite post season. I mean, you could certainly make an argument for Kawhi Leonard, but um, I mean, Durant genuinely looks like the best player in the world right now. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think, since it was it was either after game three against the Clippers. I want to say it was game three where he said, like, you know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant. He's been averaging something like 36, 37 points per game with like 50, 40, 90 splits. And it's just been like, it just, you sort of get the feeling like tonight incredibly. I mean, I'm looking at a stat line right now, 12 for 22, 8 for 10 from the free throw line, 34, 7 and 5. And that feels like his worst game in two weeks. I think we're seeing a Kevin Durant at this point who's, who's mastered the game of basketball. And I almost hesitate to say this from a Knicks perspective, but at age 30, I, I think it's, it's almost kind of similar to what we saw from LeBron. Last year, where I think this is the best he's ever going to be, and that's not to say like he he could even fall off a little bit and still be the best player in the world next season because I believe that's a possibility. And the good news again, if the Knicks get him, is Durant's game really isn't predicated on elite athleticism; it's that size, shooting ability, and, and some of the off the dribble stuff. But he uh, he he is just he's operating at a level just like clinically as a scorer that I don't know if I've if I've ever really seen anything similar in the NBA, like maybe that stretch that Kobe had that one year where he had like nine straight 40 point games. And like LeBron had a little bit of this, like on their way to the finals last year, but he, he just has this complete mastery of, of basketball. And in, in, in my mind, like I, I think outside of like prime Jordan and like, I know this seems like a stretch and like, honestly, like a little bit of what Kawhi doing right now too. Like, I just, I can't remember someone who was, as unstoppable offensively or at least in getting it done in such a versatile way it's really it's a sight to behold
1: yeah you could almost argue like as much as it pains me to admit it because I don't enjoy his particular brand of basketball but you could almost argue that Harden is on a similar level but like I feel what you're talking about like like Durant I feel like more so than Harden is like a perfect complete three-level scorer whereas Harden You know, so much of his game is predicated on like drawing fouls and, you know, things of that nature, which isn't to say that Harden isn't like phenomenal. Like when I watched him tonight, I'm like, I I can't believe how he gets off shots with like a centimeter of space sometimes and still manages to put it in with the accuracy that he does. And I almost wonder if like not sidetrack too much, but Harden, I had this thought tonight where I was like, I wonder if he's sort of like prime timeline Jr. Like, because he definitely makes shots better, I think, from watching him when he has a defender in his face. Like, it seems like wide open shots are not as much of a sure thing with Harden as when he has a defender in his face. Or maybe just feels that way. But J.R. Smith, you know, famously used to always talk about how he loved having a defender on him more than having an open shot. But, uh, yeah, no, to get back to the rant, I mean, he's he's been phenomenal. And, you know, he certainly gave the Warriors everything that they needed out of him. Tonight, um, you, you could argue Steph did too. Finally, you know, Steph kind of put together a performance that you know was what they needed. It was it was probably Clay Thompson was the you know kind of the guy that stood out as as the one who sort of flubbed this game away for them. But uh, yeah, at any rate, it was it was wild. I mean, I was thinking late in the game that there was. You know, I was like, well, there's like no way the Warriors are going to come back from this one. And then I looked up again and it was like, oh, they're only down by like five now inside of a minute. And I was like, that's ridiculous. They were down by like 15, like two minutes ago. Like that's like two minutes of real time, not even game time. Um, Just goes to show like how insane that team is. Uh, To get back to kind of the, the overarching theme of this, of what we would want to happen for the Celtics and the Warriors the rest of the way out unlike the Celtics where I want them to kind of get embarrassed and whatever. I definitely want the Warriors to win this series and win all the way to the finals, I think, and win that. Cause I, I feel like an important thing for Durant feeling like it's okay to leave golden state. will be feeling like his legacy is complete there and being like, okay, I delivered them three titles. Like there's no way that that's not enough, you know, for my legacy and, you know, to, to like state their fans and the team and whatever. So I think that's probably what I'm rooting for, for him and for him to just keep balling out like this because every time that he, you know, goes off for almost 40 points again, I've just been like salivating at the thought of like, I can't believe that this guy is potentially thinking about coming to the Knicks next year, which is just like an insane thought because I, in, in our lifetime, I mean, if you, it, Patrick Ewing was never as, I mean, he was great. But he was never as good as Kevin Durant is now. I mean, there's literally like in our whole lifetime, there's never been a player that's closer to the pinnacle of the sport than Durant is right now that was ever on the Knicks. So yeah, definitely exciting thoughts.
0: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm still, I'm almost like a trauma victim. Like I, I know, I know all the signs and we're going to, we're going to get into it a little bit more next segment in just a minute, but. I like I like there's there's something it's like someone put like a little chip in my brain that won't let me believe anything positive about the Knicks. Like I think I think Durant could be on the team for five years and they could have won two or three titles. And and I'll be on this podcast being like, yeah, you know, if like if only they had gotten Kevin Durant a few summers ago. And you're going to be like, dude, dude, we, we won like three in a row. And I'm just I'm I'm never I'm, I'm not going to believe it until maybe 10 years after the fact. Like it just it, it, it's it's too hopeful. <laughs> it would be too incredible I I just I need to I need to see that woe's tweet and I need to like read um his his at like six times and then I need to screenshot the verified check mark with the tweet and like send it to um, some computer expert in Russia, and like have him like cross verify it with like Woj's previous tweets. like I need I'm gonna need like a twenty step verification process when it happens. It's going to be so, so hard for me to accept that something that good could actually happen to the next. but you're right. it's like it's mouth watering It's so tantalizing just to to go from I mean what we watched this whole year, which I mean was was fun at points, but to, to getting to watch Kevin Durant. And I don't even care. I mean, I, obviously I'd love if Kyrie comes, but whoever else comes with him, like if they get KD, like that, that makes our next couple of seasons. So, uh, yeah. that, that'd be pretty sweet. Right.
1: I feel like that's probably with talking about the, the Woj tweet there. That's probably about as good of a segue as we're going to get to get into our next segment, which is a little bit of Woj news, some, some little nuggets he's been dropping. So we will uh, take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to get into some free agency rumors and just what it would take for us to fully believe that Durant is coming to New York before an actual tweet saying Kevin Durant has signed with New York. So all that when we come back. OK. All right. Welcome back in, everyone, to Locked on Knicks. I am Alex Wolf. He's Gavin Shaw, of course. And we're going to get right back into the show. But first, we want to tell you guys a little bit about ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter sends your jobs over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching te- technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience, and they invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is
0: so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L O C K E D O N ZipRecruiter. com slash locked on ZipRecruiter, Zip the smartest way to hire. And for the Knicks, the smartest person to hire would be Kevin Durant and Alex. We got a we got a pretty decent little uh, breadcrumb today on that being a good possibility.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. It, I, I think it was. Uh, um, shit, I just totally sorry. I'll jump back no, in. No, no worries. I was in one sec. I didn't ever in front of me. That's, that's a good spot, though. So mark your timestamp. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, I guess that was just today.
0: Was like a okay. like, that could just, like, buzz whenever it pops up. And then, like, like beep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all
1: right. I'll jump back in in just one sec. All right. Three, two, one. Yeah, so we got some nice little news from Woj today on uh, the show Get Up in the morning. Uh, it's like ESPN's morning show uh, with Mike Greenberg and all them. And Woj said the Warriors are bracing for possibly a seismic change within that organization, meaning this offseason. So, I mean, you know, you don't have to have a doctorate to diagnose what that means. That's like 99 percent talking about Kevin Durant and maybe one to five percent talking about Clay Thompson, um, because those are the two guys that most realistically could be. On their way out this offseason. I mean, there's some like role player type dudes like Jordan Bell. Maybe he'll get signed by some team because he's a restricted free agent. That doesn't really matter. Mostly what they're talking about is Durant presumably going to the Knicks and Clay Thompson, which it was reported, I think this week that, um, if the Warriors offer him a full max, he's likely to stay. If they don't offer him a full max, there's a chance that he might take another offer elsewhere and go somewhere else. So, uh, but it, it seems. Almost entirely what we was just talking about, uh, Durant coming to the Knicks here. So it, it kind of just, I don't know, it piqued my interest, Gavin. I was kind of curious, like, I figured we could bounce back and forth a little bit. Like, what would it take at this point with all this reporting that's been out there? I mean, even the most begrudging, you know, Knicks-hating, uh, generally, you know, national media members at this point have, you know, kind of embraced, like, this so-called inevitability or whatever that Durant is going to come to the Knicks at this point, you got like Bill Simmons, Zach Lowe, they were kind of first on the train and then Woj just now talked about it. Uh, Shams has talked about it. I mean, there's, there's really not a single like prominent NBA voice out there that you trust that hasn't brought this up in some capacity. So what would it take for you at this point to like convince you more than you are now that Durant is coming to the Knicks other than, like, the tweet, you know, July 1st at midnight or whatever that says, you know, Kevin Durant has agreed to a four-year, hundred-whatever-million-dollar deal with the Knicks.
0: Yeah, we we were talking about this pre-show a little bit, and I I will stand by my take that I think I would need uh, KD to get a Knicks jersey tattooed on on both his chest and back and just – and essentially – have that on uh, underneath his Warriors jersey going into every game and it would just be like a Durant um uh like number 6 Knicks jersey that he is permanently a part of his body and that would that would be pretty good because that'd be a nice little indicator for me that he uh, he wouldn't be leaving anytime soon either when he comes to New York so uh, my most painful scenario is he does that and then signs with the Nets that would that would really throw me so i guess i guess i shouldn't get my hopes up even then
1: Yeah, I mean, speaking of tattoos, you know, I wonder if, like, Durant had, you know, Durant has, like, mostly kept his arms – actually, I think he's totally kept his arms clear of tattoos, despite the fact that he's got quite a few now at this point. He's got them, like, all up and down his leg, and he's got some, like, on his chest and back, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I I wonder if – maybe if he got, like, a tattoo of the dunk by John Starks, like a full sleeve down his one arm, that might be enough to convince me that he was like for sure coming. Like that's that's probably one of the most iconic Knicks images of all time. Maybe also if he got a tattoo of Clyde Frazier's face, like just even like on his shoulder, that would be pretty indicative to me, as far as tattoos go. At least, I mean, it, that would be a pretty nice way to show his loyalty to the franchise, right?
0: Yeah, uh, that would that would that would give me a pretty good feel. We were also talking about him, um, potentially wearing starberries to every game. Um, I, I would appreciate that. Um, and it would be, I, I kind of want to start seeing like Knicks officials just like very prominently in the crowd of like all these Warriors playoff games. Like if we could have Steve Mills and like Scott Perry just courtside for every game, which I, I guess like, Theoretically, um, could be uh, a little bit of a red flag to the NBA um, in, in the uh, in the Magic Johnson vein, um, but ideally, um, that uh, that wouldn't be a deal breaker. They'd be willing to come out and do that.
1: Well, on that note, apparently, I forget who tweeted it out, so I apologize if whoever it was that tweeted it uh, listens to Locked On Knicks. But uh, someone tweeted out like the um, the roster of who was, you know, credentialed at the game. And the Knicks did send a pro scout to the uh, Rockets-Warriors game tonight. So that's a pretty good sign, too. I mean, I guess if we're, if we're keeping a tally. I think, you know, I, I mentioned this to you before we started. I think it would be funny if Durant started just wearing, like, an orange shooting sleeve, and then the NBA and whatever was like, what the hell is going on? Like, why are you wearing an orange shooting sleeve? And he could be like, oh, I thought we were wearing – despite the fact that the Warriors don't even have this in their arsenal, he could just be like, oh, I thought we were wearing like throwbacks to like the 2007 Warriors uniforms where they used to be like the dark blue and the orange and yellow and whatever, which were sick uniforms, by the way. I don't know why they ever got rid of those, but he could be like, oh, it's just the throwback arm sleeve. I thought we were in throwback uniforms, but really, you know, that's a secret, secret way of, you know, channeling his Nick's intent Maybe just like a blatantly Knicks colorway of his shoe, too. Kyrie already pulled that once This uh, during this postseason. He had one colorway that was like orange and blue and I think black. And it was just like Knicks colors all over the place. And people were freaking out about that. So maybe that would be something for Durant to consider as well. Maybe also something that would start to convince me that maybe this is actually happening.
0: Yeah, I think another solid sign would be, I don't know if you saw, but the um, Vegas odds for the 2020 title came out. And I think the Knicks had like the fifth best odds and like maybe the second or third best odds in the East. I know they were behind the Bucks, but um, I can't remember if they were behind anyone else. And I think if it came out that Durant and or Rich Kleinman put money down on the Knicks winning the title next season. Um, that would make me feel pretty good. It would be really bold if he did that and then didn't come. So I, I, I would like to see that. Is that actually,
1: like, I, I know Kleiman could do that. Is that illegal for Durant to do that? You're not allowed to buy on on the league, right? Yeah. No, 100% illegal for Yeah. Well, he could just, he could place it that through Kleiman. That's not illegal, but yeah. Um, no, that actually, you know, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up because if there's one thing that I trust, it's the freaking Vegas sport book, like, because they know shit that nobody else knows over there. Like, they get all of the hottest tips as far as this stuff goes, and you know that's that's how they formulate these opinions. So, I feel like at this stage of the game, they wouldn't have the Knicks that high unless things were looking looking pretty sure. Because they try to get money. You know, like if they if someone told the you know the the biggest sportsbook people if they heard through the grapevine like. Oh, it's like a 50-50 shot that Durant's going to the Knicks. They probably put the Knicks at like right now they're at 16 to 1, which is like really good odds uh for a team that just won 17 games this past year. But like if you know, if it was only a 50-50 shot that Durant was coming, they'd probably leave the odds at like 70 to 1 or something like that, like try to entice a lot of people that think that Durant is coming to the Knicks and then you know, naturally if they if they didn't get him, then be like, okay, we're going to make the odds like 200 to 1 again or whatever it was going to be. But, um, yeah, it, generally, if Vegas says it's it's going to happen, I start to get a little excited, too, because those guys, they know some stuff. They know some stuff that neither you nor I nor pretty much anyone outside of very tight NBA circles know uh, just because of the nature of the business. But, yeah, I, I don't know what else could uh, could potentially influence me, though. I'm kind of running out of ideas here. Once we got past tattoos and things that he could do on the court, I mean, I guess like Rich Kleiman could just straight up tweet out like, "See you guys in like two months, New York." Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just a lot of Instagrams of him, like with like the Knicks, like front office, like him and Dolan, um, like swimming in the Hudson River or something. Like, I don't know. There, there, Jim, there are a few.
1: A few Jim Dolan, Jim Dolan teaching him to play harmonica and sing the blues, yeah. so I'm sitting there together.
0: <laughs> Dolan, uh, Dolan tweeting out in, in all caps: Rich Kleinman is not an alcoholic. That, that's like the <laughs> only way you know, he can only compliment or insult people based on their um, their alcohol consumption. So that would be that'd be a pretty good sign.
1: That's true. Yeah, if he acknowledged that Rich Kleinman is in no way an alcoholic, that, that would definitely be a way to do it. It's like, wow, <laughs> yeah. you, you must really trust this guy <laughs> if yeah. you don't think he's an alcoholic. <laughs>
0: yeah katie signed some i mean katie signed somewhere else like how like like what's what's the clock i'm like dolan calling him an alcoholic like it can't it, it, it's like it has to be within like two three hours probably yeah i mean thank god dolan's not
1: on twitter because otherwise he would be he would be up at like 3 a.m tweeting that for yeah. sure like rich Kleiman <laughs> sucks like he's an alcoholic and there's no way that they were ever going to come here because they can't hack it and, you know, whatever, like he'd have all kinds of stuff cooked up. He'd, he'd have to go on like a 10 tweet thread, I think, to make that one work. I,
0: I, um, got, I, got, I got to say my best um alternative scenario to KD signing is that he doesn't, and then Dolan bans him from the garden. And like there's just a huge legal war between the NBA and Dolan to see if KD is, is allowed into MSG to actually play.
1: It would just be funny because it would be like, the NBA would be like, you can't do that. And it would be just as ridiculous as his fan bands where he's like, you're banned for life. And it's not like they're going to put up wanted posters around the whole arena. Like that person could definitely still get into MSG. And it would just be hilarious if it was like, you're banned. Kevin Durant in the NBA was like, you can't do that. And Dolan's like, still banned. Don't care. Like (laughs) I'm doing this.
0: It would start a great trend of, uh, of teams banning, like, other team stars. Like, you know, like, James Harden getting banned in Golden State, Steph Curry getting banned in Houston. Like, it would, it would really, it would get really aggressive really quickly. Alright, I think, I think we probably milked this topic for all it's worth. Uh, let's take a break, uh, come back, and, uh, we'll do, we'll do a quick little conversation on Avengers Endgame to finish things up. That next, Unlocked on next. On Welcome back in to Locked on Nick's third and final segment. You knew it was coming. I'm amazed it, it took us this long. But now that the spoiler ban is officially up. I think we both feel comfortable talking about it. So, Alex, uh, I, I think if there if there's one person on the planet who was more excited for this movie than me, it, it was you. What was your what was your reaction to it? Did it live up to the hype for you? Yeah, uh, I freaking loved it. I mean, I thought it was great. It, whatever,
1: whatever nits I have to pick with Endgame are so minor, because I just thought they did everything really well. I mean, they did, it, they gave you all the payoffs you were looking for. Like, people figured that in one way or another, um Cap and, and Iron Man were probably gonna if not die, leave the series in some way. They actually sort of reversed how I thought it was going to happen. Like, I thought that Captain America was going to have to die to save everybody. And uh Iron Man was going to, like, kind of get to peacefully retire just to, like, be a family man. But I kind of like the way they did it better just because I thought it was interesting that, like, like, Tony finally got everything he wanted. He finally had a family, and he had a daughter, and like, had this nice, peaceful life, and like, he could have just as easily left that be and not help them, you know, time travel and, you know, get all the stones and, you know, undo the snap and all that stuff. But instead, first, he chose like, OK, I care about the well-being of everybody else over myself. Like, I'm willing to put everyone else's problems ahead of my own problems for once. And then secondly, to go ahead with it and do the, the snap to get rid of Thanos, which he knew based off the discussion with Dr. Strange was about to kill him. Uh, you know, whether they said it was kind of unspoken between the two of them that like, that's why Dr. Strange was like, if I tell you what's going to happen, like you're not going to do it because he would have known, you know, before the moment would come that he was going to have to kill himself to save everybody. But, you know, he realized like I created a safe world for, for my daughter now and for pepper and whatever, and finally did it. So I was super happy with how they handled that. Um, I definitely like missed it up for like most of that final sequence there. Like, um, I missed it up a little bit when Black Widow died. And then I, I you know, I, my first thing like during the final sequence that got me was when all the portals opened up. Cause I actually said this on the, I, I went on the Gotham pod last week. Um, which I don't, I don't know if that's been published yet, but spoiler alert for, another pod with spoilers in it, but, um, you know, I said like the thing about that final battle is that it reminded me like I was a big action figures kid. So like, it reminded me of like having all of my like Marvel action figures and like staging all these ridiculous battles, you know, between all them, it just felt like that come to life. And that kind of overtook me for a minute. So I got a little misty at that, like just with happiness. And then, um, then obviously, um, when Tony's dying, that, you know, got me going a little bit. The funeral actually made me cry a little bit. And the Captain America part at the very end kind of made me messed up again, too. But, yeah, all in all, like, my general thoughts of the whole thing was that I really loved the whole movie, and I thought they did a great job with it.
0: Yeah, I got to say, your, your thoughts are a lot more lucid than mine are going to be, because I, I made the um, controversial and uh, theoretically foolish decision to see it at 3 in the morning, because unlike you, I, I did not plan ahead and I was like okay you know like two two weeks ahead I can still I can find like great tickets and I was really I was last year when I initially saw it I or when I saw Infinity War um, it was like the day that it came out but I, I just saw it like in a standard theater because those were the only tickets available and this year it's like alright like I've been waiting for this for like 10 years like I've, I've seen all these movies like I'm so invested I really wanted to go see it like in a Dolby theater and like get like the full experience like with my with like the best possible picture and like my Seat shaking so and and by the time I looked which was about like a week after tickets went out and like two weeks before the movie the only Dolby seats that I could find were at three in the morning and even at three in the morning I couldn't really get like the best possible seats that I wanted in terms of um, placement but uh it was so I was like I was like half asleep for a lot of this movie and like I thought about like getting like a red Bull, but I was like no 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 but it coast right through it it'll be fine and then I was like I, I was so tired and I so I caught I caught the highlights. I I got a good feel for it. And then I'm going to go back um, tomorrow, actually, and rewatch it and have uh, more details. So maybe I'll, I'll I'll do a little addendum on this segment. But I'm generally with you. I mean, I thought it was, it was pretty picture perfect. Just the whole design of the movie was really clever in, in that they I, – I think a lot of people pointed this out, but it was almost like a three-act play where, like, the first part, like, basically, like, resolved Infinity War and, like, showed you the implications of that and, like, where all the characters are now. Like, you get Fat Thor – you get a Professor Hulk, uh, you get a Happy Tony, you get like a heartbroken uh, Cap and uh, Black Widow. And then the um, second part is just sort of like a love letter to like the MCU, like these flashbacks um, and, and just getting to like jump in on all these moments. Like a lot of people have references for like like Cap uh, when, when I really thought they were going to recreate the elevator fight. And I was like, I remember like. <laughs> In the moment thinking, like, how, how are they gonna do this better than the original? It's such, it's like really like one of the top like five, six moments in the history of these movies. And then instead you just get the hell Hydra. Like it's just such a subtle, like perfect, like, oh, like that was a much like cleaner way to do this, but also like funny and like you don't feel like you're missing anything. You that was just, maybe, maybe
1: yeah. my funniest moment in the whole movie. And it was, yeah. there was a lot of funny moments, but that one that, cause I was the same as you, like what you said, like I, I got on the edge of my seat. Because that's, like, one of my favorite – because Winter Soldier, I, you know, we did our rankings already. I mean, everybody knows I'm really high on Winter Soldier as far as my overall rankings go. And that was, like, one of my favorite scenes of all the movies. And when he got in the elevator, I was literally, like – I, like, gripped the sides of my seat. And I was like, oh, my God, they're about to do this again. Like, because they would already thrown in a couple little, like, homages by then. And then that payoff, I was like, I'm not even mad that they didn't just do another fight in there. Because that was freaking hilarious. That was so good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it was was perfect because they couldn't, they couldn't have topped the original. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and, and, yeah, so that, that whole sequence was, like, was, was perfect, and then, uh, the ending was, uh, I'm in total agreement with you, um, I was just as much of a weirdo with my, uh, action figures, they were a little bit more, um, uh, DC and, uh, Dragon Ball Z driven than Marvel, but I, I, I had, like, the same, like, sort of feeling of, like, like, I would literally, like, I would try, I'd, like, in, in my mind, like create like these like crossover storylines where I had all these different characters and they had some motivation to fight together and this was sort of like the perfect version of that because it was just it was so earned based on all these movies and you're invested in all these tangential characters and like um uh like Peter Parker like getting or Peter getting his like moment with uh Tony like before they died and like it was, like, obvious, like, I think, like, if you want to cut to the core of, like, Tony, like, obviously, like, the so much of the story was about, like, his evolution as, like, as, as a human being going from someone who's, like, utterly selfish and, like, self-obsessed to even by the beginning of Avengers, like, willing to sacrifice himself for the end of the world. But then I think in in some ways this was even more loaded because it wasn't just sacrificing himself like at a point like where not that he didn't have anything to live for, but like he didn't have a family. Like he he was sacrificing, like getting to like grow up with his daughter. And I, I think a large part of what drove that was like, it was obvious just how much guilt he had about like Peter, like disappearing in the snap at the end of infinity war. And the fact that like they got just like, a little bit of time together and uh, for those of you who've seen uh the Spider Man uh Far From Home uh trailer, like you know like that's I mean like a theme on the other end in that movie, like the loss of him and like their relationship. And I, I just I actually just rewatched Homecoming this week, so I just kinda got like a fresh like um I, I guess refresher on like just how strong that was and how it really is like sort of like father son and like I don't I don't know. That like I think that's gonna really hit me tomorrow when I when I rewatch it. Um I, I think I, I did have like a couple of nitpicks with it like i was just like i i'm like maybe like if i go back and like look through it like um they're they're good explanations for this and i think they've covered it but like some of the time travel stuff like especially like loki like disappearing with like one of the stones and like maybe like hey, alex you could probably explain this to me and like i thought like i was like wouldn't that like cause like rever- reverberations and like i kind of get the idea like that we're operating with like all different timelines here but that was like a little bit frustrating and then I, I don't know, I guess like I, I thought like the middle of the movie got like a little bit too bogged down, like spending maybe like too much time with like Nebula and like, and um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Black Widow's like sacrifice. I thought it was good, but it was, I, and it was like, it was emotional, but it was like a little bit like too over the top with them, like repeatedly, like stopping each other. Like it just sort of reminded me of the movie tag, another uh, Jeremy Renner special where they were just like constantly like one upping each other um overall like incredible experience I thought it was like perfectly executed I I guess the one thing I will say is like I was hoping for like like and I guess this is my big picture complaint I was just hoping for like some element of it that like totally totally shocked me and blew my mind and I guess like I guess Tony's death was sort of that and like the fact that like I also thought it was going to be cap but I there wasn't just like there wasn't one like there wasn't, like, a shocker in there, like, either, like, Galactus or, like, Adam Warlock showing up. I don't know, but maybe, but minor quibbles. It was, it was really perfectly done. Yeah. Cap,
1: cap-grabbing Mjolnir didn't make you, like, shit your pants a little bit?
0: (laughs) A little bit, a little bit, but that was also, like, something that they set up, like, in the, I I don't know. I, like, that. I didn't, I, that that caught
1: me totally off guard when it happened. I was, like, oh, shit, like, shit's going down now. Like, that, that was a sick moment. To, to answer your thing with the time travel, like, I was a little confused by it at first, too, and if my first thought was that they were just straight up, like, making fun of time travel in a way and just being like, look, like, we're doing this and it doesn't have to make sense because it's not real. Because, like, you know, initially it was, like, uh, War Machine and and, um, Hawkeye talking to Hulk, like, and also uh, Ant-Man talking to everybody, like, talking like it's, like, Back to the Future or, like, you know, any other movie that we've ever seen with time travel, like, this is how things work. And, you know, Tony being like, you're a fucking idiot. And then Hulk being like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, that's not how it works at all. Like, there's none of that. And then, like, Hulk having his mind blown by the ancient one who's like, uh, no, there is consequences to your actions because if you screw up my, th- like, what happens right now, you create a, a bridge, like, or like a alternate reality that's going to be all screwed up because you took out one of the main, you know, parts of it. And, um, which of course, you know, the, the, factor in that one would have been that, like, Dormammu would have just, like, eaten the world in Doctor Strange, and, you know, the world would have ended in that timeline at that point um, without the time stone there, but, yeah, um it, in general, like, once I sat back and thought about it more, I think, and, and the Spider-Man trailer kind of threw a new wrench into that, and so I'm really curious how Spider-Man's going to work out now, but, like, um, my basic thought of it was that at the end, like the way you can explain the Captain America thing is that he went and lived his life in another reality and then came back to like the prime timeline after he'd already lived his whole life in the other, you know, branch timeline or whatever. Yeah. Um. And that's just kind of how I look at that. And um, as far as the other stuff, I mean, it's it's explained easily enough by the movie but then like Spider-Man like I said during this trailer Mysterio the at first seems like hero but is definitely going to become the villain by the end of the movie um in Spider-Man says that he's from another dimension and there's like two sides to that coin because he could either be telling the truth and then we have a multiverse thing going on in the MCU now which would be a good way to introduce some of the Fox characters that they uh just acquired like the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and even Deadpool. Um, Or it's possible that Mysterio is just lying because in the comics, Mysterio is a pathological liar. And that's, you know, he's a liar and like a trickster, sort of. um, He's sort of like a mega-powered Loki in that respect, I guess. And he's also like an illusionist and stuff. So, like, he's got all kinds of shit going on in the comics. So I'll be interested to see how all that goes. But, yeah, in general, my thought with the time travel was like, at first when they started doing it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay attention every little bit. But when they made it pretty clear that like there, there was, you know, they had their own set of rules and they seemed like they had it figured out. I was like, I'm just going to enjoy the movie for now. Like I can like hyper analyze that when it comes out on home release. But like for now, while I'm seeing it in theaters, I'm like, I'm just going to go with the flow and just enjoy the movie for now and not think about the science behind it too much.
0: Yeah. that's, that's probably the right way to approach it. I'll say my one final, like, again, minor, minor complaint, because I don't think, um, I, I mean, again, this, the whole point of this movie was, like, focusing on, like, the, the core, like, four or five, but I, I didn't think Captain Marvel, like, fit in at all, and, like, I was kind of hoping they were gonna do, like, a better job, like, integrating her, like, she just sort of, like, left, like, right at, the, right after, like, the initial killing of Thanos, like, obviously didn't go with them through time. And then um and then she comes back at the end and it's just sort of like um like a cure all like, oh I'm just gonna like I'm gonna take down the ship in one shot. Which is like which is great. And I guess like you could argue that's like essentially what Thor did last year too, but like e- even like even with Captain Marvel coming out before, like obviously I know they filmed her part in this before that movie, like it didn't really feel like they had like a full three dimensional grasp on her character yet, and I just thought that could have been A little bit cleaner, but again, like, not, like, that wasn't, like, the priority of this movie, so it wasn't, like, uh, like, a deal breaker, just small, small complaint. See, I actually thought, so I have an opposite thought on that. I actually thought they did it
1: just right, because she shows up at the beginning because of Fury's beeper, which, like, you don't know unless you watch Captain Marvel and see (laughs) the credit scene there, but in that (laughs) credit scene, you know, she she rolls up to Earth, and, um uh was like where's fury and then they probably explain, you know, that's how she knew where to find Tony in space and all that shit. And uh but then, you know, she was basically like, I'm so powerful that I can just like wash Thanos myself. Like I could absolutely beat him one on one. And they do. And they go and like obviously they get there and Thanos is, like half crippled too because he used the stones a second time and destroyed the the stones, which like almost killed him. And but like I thought that after that it made sense like half of life all around like the universe went away and she was like lots of places don't have like a whole team of superheroes so I got to go help and that made sense and that tracks and that like goes with her character because she wants to help everybody yeah. and so then um at the end when she came in I thought it was perfect because like the only reason that that final battle worked is because they nerfed Thor by making him fat basically like because otherwise Thor by himself would have been able to beat Thanos without the gauntlet and it wouldn't have even been close like they had to like knock him down a peg and knock uh Hulk down a peg so Hulk they crippled him by using the gauntlet and then Thor you know they made him like out of shape and not you know in the right brain space uh, you know that he was at the end of the first Avengers or at the end of Infinity War I should say and I just thought that that worked really well. I don't know, like to have him, it, you know, it, you have him where he's not powerful enough to beat Thanos. And then the only character that even without the gauntlet could one V one him doesn't come in till the end. I thought it was, it made perfect sense. Cause otherwise like if Catherine Marvel was there from the start, it would have been like no contest. Like she could have just annihilated him before, you know, he even had a chance to like call his army and all that bullshit. So yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. And I felt like it, it did a good job then of shining the spotlight on the right characters for most of the movie, you know, and, and having you really have kind of this this last ride with the original Avengers before everything gets uh, gets changed up. Um, I guess my last point would be I thought the way they did Thor was really good. Like I see a lot of people saying that it wasn't like, I don't know, like sensitive enough to to weight issues and mental health issues. But I thought like even though they made light of the fact that like he got fat. A number of times, I did think that they gave, like, some definite, like, emotional scenes to show, like, just how broken up he was, and for the, you know, for the viewers to appreciate that. So, I liked how they did Thor, and I am, like, super, super excited for the potential of Asgardians of the Galaxy to be uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So, I hope that goes down as well, because that would be really fun.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I I think that's going to be perfect, like, especially with, I mean, the evolution that he's gone through. Um, just as, like, a comic presence. Like, I'm not even, like, saying in this movie because of um, the weight thing. Like, just as far as Ragnarok goes, like, it, it just seems so logical that it would end up in that Guardians universe, and, like, a full movie with him, like, under, like, the direction of James Gunn, who is uh, thankfully um, back and going to be involved with that. Um, I don't know. That is the potential to be maybe my favorite MCU movie outside of, like, the the big crossover event. Uh, I will say my my final concluding point, maybe a little bit of a hot take, is is I think... Infinity War was a slightly better movie, though I will, before making a final declarative statement on that, I want to see um, this one fully awake. Um, I don't know why. There's just something, like, I guess just because it was so, like, fresh, and, like, it just, it felt like the, I don't want to say the stakes were higher, but the battle was just, it, it was obviously, like, it felt like more of a launch shot so they could win, and obviously they ultimately lose, and, like, it felt like they needed everything from, From Thor, and I guess like ultimately in this one, Thanos brought like such a loaded crew like um, with him to Earth that they kind of they kind of did need everyone anyways. And it was a good opportunity to see the flip side of that, where like Thanos like kind of had to show off like the full extent of his abilities without the gauntlet. It was pretty impressive, like in his ability to like hold up against like. uh, ca- uh, Captain America with the hammer, and then um, to hold up against Captain Marvel. Um, so I mean, both both had those elements, but I, I don't know. I think there's there's something about Infinity War that was just so perfect, and I, I got to give this one another rewatch. But I think I think I'd still have Infinity War slightly slightly ahead of my power rankings. But all in all, they they certainly stuck the landing. No real reason to complain. This this was a great movie, and I mean, it's it just it's incredible the way they wrapped up this this story and like didn't, like, stumble, and, and I guess to, like, have a quick addendum on this, like, I, the way that I personally think Game of Thrones is stumbling down the stretch, like, puts into context just how incredible of an accomplishment that is, so a uh, shout-out to the MCU, shout-out to Kevin Feige, shout-out to everyone involved with these movies, it was really, it was really great.
1: Yeah, I would say, to your point, I'll keep this brief, but I... I'm still not quite sure which movie I put ahead of which yet, because I I really enjoyed both of them, and I feel like I'm going to have to watch them back-to-back, but to that point, I feel like as time goes on, I'm probably going to judge them almost like two sides of the same coin. Like, one is the first part, one's the second part, because they were clearly... It was clearly a part one and part two situation, even if they were drastically different as far as how the story went and all that. Um, But... I, I think over time I might still appreciate Infinity War more as well because I think the biggest thing with Infinity War versus Endgame is, like, Endgame you knew one way or another they were going to win. You were just waiting to see how they were going to win, whereas in um, Infinity War you were, like, you had no clue what was going to happen. You had no clue if, like, the movie was going to end on Thanos, you know, getting the stones, and then they were going to have to fight him the whole next movie or what and then to have it end on the snap and all that was insane and like unlike anything i'd seen in any of these movies because the heroes never lose in these movies like every single mcu movie they beat the villain at the end there's never a movie where they just straight up like lose lose and they like got their asses beat in infinity war and it was such a different experience to like leave the theater being like oh my god they just they just like really really lost rather than like Oh, all right. Yeah. They pulled it out in the end like they always do. So that was, I think the biggest thing with that one. But at any rate, yeah, I think we could probably wrap up now. I mean, I'm sure we're going to come back to this at some point or another and talk about Endgame again. Cause it's honestly the, it's going to end up being the highest grossing movie of all time. This is easily the biggest, uh, movie event that I've ever seen in my lifetime. So I'm sure it'll come back around at some point. Maybe on home release. We'll, uh, We'll watch both of them and, and talk about them again. But uh, at any rate, we should probably wrap things up for this episode went longer than we thought it was going to go figure. It always does. Uh, but thanks, you know, end game for making that happen. Cause we could talk about this for like two full hours if we wanted to, at any rate, this has been locked on Knicks. We will be back with you guys with some more episodes this week. And in the meantime, check us out on the Himalaya app. If you haven't already, Himalay is a great podcasting app designed strictly for the podcast listeners, so check us out there. Be sure to give us high ratings wherever you do listen to us because we very much appreciate that. Hit us up on Twitter at Nicks and we'll talk to you guys soon. All right, peace out.